Good morning, good morning, and happy fucking Tuesday, y'all. My name is Tiffany Watts, and you are listening to Sloppy Seconds. Here, we love to talk about how sloppy and messy our lives get. And I'm talking about sloppy relationships, sloppy habits, sloppy beliefs. But really, at the end of the day, it all comes back to how we take all of that mess and we use it to inspire us to grow and to heal and to truly upgrade our lives. So let's just get into it. Today, I have a pelvic floor therapist. She's going to teach us all about our, I love this is what your social media says, our private bits today. You guys, welcome Dr. Laura Mayhofer. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for having me. I'm so excited to talk all of the things. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. So I found you on Instagram, as do I'm sure a lot of people, because like your posts are super engaging, but like some of them are hilarious as fuck. And then I share them and then people are like, oh, that's really good information. I'm like, I know, right? Like, funny and informative. And I love that. So thank you for like all the work you and your team are putting in on your social media. Because when I tell you like the level of education I have on my own body, low, it's growing, but like, and I'm gonna just be honest with you. I don't remember learning this in school. Mm -hmm. And as I've been doing like this deep dive into my body and, you know, all of my everything. I just now discovered that your vagina is not like the whole thing. (laughs) I was like, oh, so there's the vulva and then the vagina and then the pelvic muscles that wrap around the vagina, which is what you specialize in, right? Yes, totally. So I love actually how you just described all of the things. So we have the vulva, which is the external part that we see. It's all of the beautiful skin folds, all of that stuff. And then when we move from the vulva, we go into the vaginal canal. And you're right, the pelvic floor muscles are like this 3D spider web that sort of hold our bladder, our vagina, our uterus, our rectum, all of those things in place um, as we go about our life. So for everyone listening, the pelvic floor is 26 muscles. Everyone has them. Doesn't matter what genitals you were born with. There's just a little bit of a difference when we're thinking penis versus vagina. Um, But these 26 muscles have four major functions. They help to hold our pelvic organs up and in place. They deal with our bowel and bladder continents. They help um, with support to our spine and our hips. And then lastly, and the most fun one is they deal with sexual appreciation. So all of these muscles have to be able to contract and lift, but they also have to be able to relax, lengthen, release. Damn. Okay. So, (laughs) you know, like our, our pelvic floor muscles do so much more than like I ever even knew I'm fucking 32 years old. Like this is, this is new information for me. So you mentioned like the, the, they have to be able to contract and lift and all of that kind of stuff. And that just the clarity that, you know, no matter what genitals you were born with, we all have the pelvic floor. So do, can men Kegel too? Like do, is that a thing? Yes. So uh, we can all practice it right now, actually. So all a Kegel is, which was actually started by a man named Dr. Kegel, is it's just tightening of those pelvic floor muscles. So if you um, pretend like you're stopping the flow of urine, closing the vagina, or trying not to pass gas, any of those cues, you'll feel a squeeze together and a lift up. That is a pelvic floor contraction. That's a Kegel. Okay. Now, let's just blow your mind, Tiffany. Do it. 
actually two types of pelvic floor muscle contractions. So we have our slow twitch muscle fibers, our marathon runners. So that's if I ask you to tighten your pelvic floor and hold it for say 10 seconds. Okay. But then we also have our sprinters. Now our sprinters are usually more involved with orgasm. So these have to contract, relax, contract, relax. So it's almost like a fluttering happening. So again, everyone can kind of practice. Can you follow along with me while I ask you to tighten your muscles? So we'll go ahead and start. Tighten, relax, tighten, relax, tighten, relax, <laughs> tighten, relax, tighten, relax, right? So that is, we need strength, but we also need control and coordination. Yeah. Um, and if you if you can't relax those muscles, then you're not going to have all of these things. So it's such a fascinating, beautiful group of muscles in our body that just get overlooked because they happen to deal with our genitals. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the first time I really ever started learning about keeling and really started to learn about um, my pelvic floor muscles in general was mm -hmm. through um, a lady. Her name is Toya Mays. She here in Kansas City. She um, is the founder and, and uh, owner of the Leia Center, and it's a beautiful holistic spa. Really, I mean, she does so much stuff there. But I I discovered yoni steams there. And then Hi. the yoni egg. And I was just like, first of all, what's a yoni? You know, so yes. I had to start with that part of the conversation. And then yes. that started like opening, opening my mind up to all the other things. So, but like in terms of like toys and Kegels and yoni eggs, what's, what's the safest option? What's the smartest option and best option for those muscles? Yeah, so one actually one of the things I recommend first for all people is before you go out and buy something, just see if you can check in with yourself throughout the day to see are you able to contract and are you able to relax? Because if you aren't able to kind of connect with that throughout the day or when you're just sitting here listening to this podcast, then your muscles might be too tight or you might not have great control over them. Mm -hmm. um, and okay. then the second thing I recommend people to do is if you have an internal vibrator or even you can use like um, just the tampon applicator, sometimes people have a hard time feeling if they're contracting their muscles. So if we put something in the vaginal canal, we can contract around it and start mm -hmm. to get that sense of motion. From there, you can definitely explore uh, the thing that I like about yoni eggs is they're not super heavy. So the whole purpose from my understanding of a yoni egg is that ability of can you pull that egg up in like 3% or like to level three, I mean, and then can you relax it down? Can you pull it up to 70% or like if you're thinking of an elevator, the seventh floor, and then can you relax it down? So it's more about control than like how long can I hold it and how strong can I hold it? Um, so that's kind of how I would go through the progression of checking in with your pelvic floor and then seeing if you need to progress to actually purchasing something. Okay. So like in my head, like I, I visualize like the egg just literally going up there. So like, it's not going to get stuck, right? Like it's like, nope, it's not going to get stuck. Um, how, if everyone can think of a wine glass right now, how the pelvic floor works is layers. There are three layers of muscles that, that, uh, of these 26 muscles. So if you think that you're taking your finger or your vaginal canal is going up the stem of the wine glass. And then that's layers one and two. And then layer three, you fall into kind of that bowl of the mm. wine glass. So when you put um, the challenges with a yoni egg versus some of the say vaginal weights that are out there is the yoni egg doesn't oftentimes have like a cord on it to easily get it out. So you yeah. have to like swipe your finger or like bear down a little bit. So like that's where, it out. 
Yeah, yeah to okay. like get it to come down a little bit so that you can hook it with your fingers. But um, there are lots of weights out there. Um, one company that I'm thinking of, Intimate Rose, um, has vaginal weights where you can still use a nice low size weight, but it has a cord on the end. So it's super easy yeah. to pull it out, which is nice. Yeah, I like those too. So I tend to go toward like I have I have a couple that are like the Kegel eggs that have like the yes, it's like a vibrator too, yes, but it has the like string and I like those or I like those. Um, but I haven't tried to do just the egg because I've always been nervous that like if I get it in there, like it's going to get stuck. It's not going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's totally. And I love how you actually highlighted that, Tiffany, because when we're working with this area of our body, we want to be comfortable Yeah. whatever we're using, whether that's a toy, whether that's a lube, whether it's a vaginal weight. And that's why there's so much out there on the market. But I also think that's why there's a lot of confusion around it and why I really felt called to create my platform is because as a PT, I have all of this information in my brain. So when I look at something, I'm like, oh, yes, this is good. Or, oh, this would be great for this demographic of people. But that's because I have all of this education and experience. And so I love when I have folks like yourself who are like, hey, let's have this conversation. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Because what might feel comfortable to you, like you were saying, you love those um Kegel balls or weights that have a rattle in them to some people might freak them out or when with that rattle noise, what it can do is it can trigger your body to do a stronger contraction and it might be more challenging for them to find that relaxation. So a rattle ball might be too much for them. Hmm. Um, and so it's great to be able to find safe spaces to talk about this stuff so that you're not feeling shamed or like, you know, oh, why is it weird that this isn't working for me? Because you know what? There's different strokes for different folks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like one of the, the main reasons why I chose to create Sloppy Seconds was because there there is so much that goes on in our minds, in our lives, in our bodies that we do feel ashamed about. And so we're we're not open to asking questions or having conversations because we're afraid. What does that look like? What are people going to say? And so I, I love being able to have these conversations as well because it yeah. gives people permission to start asking more questions. You know, maybe they're going to go into their doctor's office and be like, hey, what do I do? Or maybe they're just going to go and explore. I'm going to go to the toy store, you know, and and see what I can find. So this, this is awesome. Um, so strengthening the pelvic floor mm -hmm. is said to make your orgasms stronger. I don't typically orgasm through penetration, but is that if, if I'm like working on that, is that something that I could work towards? Yes, or, totally. So yeah. interestingly, just to let you know, um, about 80% of women, um, orgasm through clitoral stimulation. So if someone says I orgasm with penetration, that is most likely an orgasm that's known as a clitoral assist orgasm. Um, meaning when your partner is inside, their mm -hmm. pubic bone is essentially able to agitate the clitoris. And that is what helps people orgasm. Now I have another like fun fact before I tell you about how to keep working on that. Um, there was some queen way back in the day, way, way, way back who wanted to figure out why could some women orgasm more easily than other women. And so she literally measured the distance between the clitoris and the vaginal opening. And the shorter the distance that is, the more easy it is to orgasm. So, people, oh, wow. yeah. So people, the more easy it is to orgasm through penile vaginal penetration. So people think so many women think I, something must be wrong with me or like get frustrated. But really the, the fact of the matter is, is that most people who are orgasming through that penile vaginal penetration are doing it because 
they're they're just they found a position or the partner they're with just matches so they're externally getting more stimulation mm. so just something for everyone to think about um and think about like i really love um having people utilize toys that have like an external and an internal stimulator um so they can have their partner in them and sort of also still have a hands-free experience because the partner can be in them and then that u-shaped kind of vibrator um, will also stimulate the clitoris externally and then the internal kind of nerve beds of the clitoris so just a little aside i need to try that that sounds amazing yes and then Okay, so making the muscles stronger to have a stronger orgasm. So this is where we come back to that muscle contraction and muscle relaxation. So yes, it's important to have a strong contraction. So if we think about our elbow bending, like bringing our hand to our face, yes, we want to have that strong contraction up. But if we just stay with that muscle tight and contracted and held tightly, it's not going to allow blood flow. It's not going to allow the, um, the tissue that surrounds the clitoris, which actually expands to, it's not going to let it expand and it's not going to let those 8,000 nerves get stimulated. So what I want you to think about is when you're contracting, it's just as important to relax and find that mm -hmm. length. So when I'm teaching someone to have stronger, um, more fulfilling orgasms, we actually work on a lot of deep breathing, a lot of can I, as I'm doing relaxed diaphragmatic breathing and I inhale, can I feel the pelvic floor gently expand? Not because I'm bearing down and pushing down, but because I'm just, the pelvic floor is coming along for the ride. And when I exhale, can the pelvic floor come up and along for the ride? So during intercourse, when you start to feel like, okay, things are starting to happen, I'm enjoying this, you can start breathing and that breath is gonna work as a muscle pump. And then you can even contract around a vibrator or around your partner, whatever it is. And you start to get that muscle pump action, which will allow the nerves of the clitoris to be fully stimulated. Ooh, okay. So let me just show you. Now, I know this is a podcast. And yeah, no, show me whatever. Tell me all the things. So this is the clitoris, actually. This is the entire clitoris. So <clears throat> what I'm showing her right now, folks, is many people think that the clitoris is just what we see externally. Yeah. Maybe they'll think about uh, there was a funny thing from Bad Moms where Kristen Bell, like, um, <laughs> put her hood over her head and like was pretending to be a clitoris. And so people will think it's just like when I retract the clitoral hood back, then that's revealing the clitoris. But in actuality, your clitoris has legs that go um, down kind of uh, almost not your inner thigh there. It's inside by your vulva, but it's like closer to the um, edges of your pelvis um so closer to the bones and then um it has these bulbs that are kind of right underneath labia majora and labia minora and all of this has erectile tissue so when you get aroused it literally goes from like kind of like like sad and then it goes like happy and it like blossoms like a um flower we'll say um and it and it has erectile tissue and it has like we get more blood flow there and so it's allowing this to become erect allowing blood flow to come there and then essentially getting enough agitation or shuffling of the tissues and all of that is what causes you to have an orgasm Wow. Okay. So I've also read though, like that the pubic hair has something to do with arousal and, you know, what happens like during that process of, yes. you know, reaching orgasm. Orgasm. So when we, um, so the clitoris and this whole little lovely 3D structure I'm showing, um, showing you is actually sandwiched between layers one and two of our pelvic floor muscles. So layer one pelvic floor muscles are just um, underneath our skin. So if you have pubic hair, again, that allows for more things to be moved, 
pulled on, agitated, it allows for more friction. And so when we have a surface area that allows for more movement and friction, it's going to more stimulate the entire body or complex of the clitoris instead of just focusing on this little, little head. Or if you shave everything and you're using lube, sometimes things slide more as opposed to kind of just getting, um, like I said, that more just movement that can happen when you have pubic hair. Yeah. This is also interesting. Like I know I can see. So yeah. for anyone listening right now, <laughs> Tiffany's face is like, I feel like I am just like, she's just like, you can see her wheels turning y'all. It is so, so awesome. I am blown. She is the emoji with the mind blown. <laughs> me <laughs> that's a perfect description um okay so now as far as our sex drive goes different things can happen to our bodies you know including you know just age and all of that how how do we increase our sex drive without going to you know try different medicines and things like that. How could we naturally do that? Mm-hmm. Is that your, is that in that? Yeah, that's in totally your wheelhouse? Okay. Yes, that's totally something in my wheelhouse. So um, I'm going to explain two things. Okay. So one is your sexual menu. I think this is so huge. I'm going to write that down. Yes, sexual menu. Um, and I have a um, pleasure quiz. So maybe I can somehow get it to you for Um, people to obtain. Yeah. But um, basically, uh, when we look at someone's sexual menu, think of what would be on your sexual menu with, say, when you were like 16 years old. So for me, I was like making out all this stuff. We weren't having sex. We're making out, we're cuddling, all these things. Then you get to like, for me, my college years. And then I was like, oh, Lordy, Laura, just like, going to town. This is great. But it wasn't like, it was like, okay, let's do the thing. There wasn't a lot of, you know, foreplay or whatever. And then now we look at like, okay, as I've gotten older, or I've been in a couple of long-term relationships, um, what, and I get more comfortable with that person, maybe I'm more into exploring things. So maybe it's like, oh, you're more into nipple play, or maybe you want to try anal or, Maybe um, you want to do um, more oral stuff. And so you, we can look through the years of our life, through the seasons of our life. You know, if you have kids or something, I mean, you might not have like an hour or two hours to like yeah. do this sensual thing. You've got like 15 minutes. Um, and so what what is your sexual menu? And, and kind of thinking of what's on and what's off and then seeing if your partner knows that. So for example, I'm going to throw my partner under the bus. I always do on these podcasts. Thank God he doesn't listen to them. Um, (laughs) He, like when we were first together, man, oh my God, he made out with me. And I was like, hi, who this? Now we're six years in and I'm like, try to like start the making out and it's like uh hello are you there knock 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 and so i brought this up to him and i'm like hey that's kind of still on my sexual menu i'd like to explore that yeah you know and so um it was just a really interesting conversation where he's like i mean yeah totally but like i kind of just want to like get to the deed and i'm like baby we gotta do these other things, you know, Oh yeah. for us, how we've gotten a little bit complacent. I mean, again, I'll totally, I'm totally fine throwing them under the bus. Um, but it shows how in our six years, how our sexual menu has changed and how you can constantly go back to it and talk about it because we have gone back and talked about it. He has taken that in and he has implemented it, you know, not as much as I would like. I'd still like to, you know, have some high school makeout sessions, but um, it's still, it's better, you know, and yeah. if I didn't have that knowledge of a sexual menu and what's on it and off it, we couldn't talk about it and then we couldn't explore. And it doesn't always have to be necessarily with another person. Like you could look at like, oh, maybe I want to try exploring, um, 
a vibrator that has like an internal and external component that I use on my own. Or there are these really cool things that I saw where you can place them in the vaginal canal. They don't vibrate or anything. They're just like silicone things. And then you can use a vibrator externally. So you can still have that sort of filled up sensation. Yeah. Um, but then use something externally. So um, pleasure quiz, first thing, sexual menu. The second thing um, that is super important is um, it's, I call it, uh, it's well known out in like the sexual therapist realm, but it's this idea that our libido is like a car and you want to get the car to move forward. And so a lot of people think if I just, uh, take out the garbage for my significant other. If I send them flowers, if we go on date night, that will get the libido car to move forward. But the bottom line is what research is finding is that we have a hundred pounds of pressure on our gas or on our brake, on our brake pedal. And if you just do flowers for someone, if you just take out the garbage, if you go on one date night, that those little actions are not going to get the libido car to move forward. Mm -hmm. You actually need to look at what things do I need to take off of that brake pedal to make a difference. So um, again, fully throwing my partner under the bus. Um, he asked, was asking me when I was saying how I was stressed this past week, um, what he could do. And I told him I would really love you to return these uh, things to Target and drop this thing off at FedEx. And then I had also said like, oh, I would really like, I want to have some hot cocoa. And um, like three days later, he gave me hot cocoa, yet I still have the crap in my car that I need to return that's stressing me out. And it was like, okay, you know, here he's trying to you know, put something nice into the bucket. But really what we need that libido car is, is Lori needs less things on her goddamn to-do list. Yes. <laughs> those, you know, he'd probably get laid more frequently. So, um, so again, I encourage people if during sexy time, you're worried, you're, you find yourself thinking like, okay, God, I got to remember to put the laundry on the side. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Maybe simply just having a notebook where you can quick write everything down that's in your mind will allow you to enjoy sex more. Maybe it's having a conversation with your partner that they need to take on more things to do that you can't do every single thing. Yeah. Um, and maybe you find like, gosh, I don't have a ton on my brake pedal and truly it is, I need to make more time to talk to this individual. Or again, sometimes I hate thinking of these things as solely partnered activities. Maybe it's you need more self-care time for yourself. Like maybe you need a bath or a sexy shower, time to put on lotion, time to really make yourself feel like a sensual being. Um, and so if we if we name these things and if we can kind of put it in a framework that we can understand, then we can start to see why is my libido car not feeling really up to it? And let's, let's talk about the libido for a second. That's, get, that's how we get aroused? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So um, when we think about uh, our libido, or it's called the sexual response cycle, uh, when we think about that, you have receptive, where it's like, I'm maybe not into it, but if someone starts kissing me, then I'll be like, oh, okay, now I'm on board, versus spontaneous sex drive. So spontaneous is like, hey, let's go. I'm ready to do this. We don't need any stimulation. I just looked at you and like, let's do this. Yeah. So you got um, the spontaneous and receptive. And so when we think of that car, we're really kind of exploring more of what will make someone more receptive, essentially. Um, because if you have 10 million things on your mental to-do list and your partner may be um, offers to do some sex stuff with you, you're going to be like, 
I'm not receptive. I'm not open to this. Or if you see your vibrator and you're like, oh, I have to do the laundry, you're not going to be open to exploring that with yourself. Hmm. And the, re the, the thing with when we think of the sexual response cycle, this is where stress and hormones really play a um, really play a big piece of it. Um, because for women, for example, as we get older, and as we hit menopause, our um, sex hormones start to go down, down, down into eventually they're zero. So you can still have spontaneous sex drive. It's just oftentimes for most people not as frequent. So then we really focus on that receptive part. Whereas men, they constantly have that testosterone, which is just the, you know, like C4 of sex hormones. So they tend to be more in that spontaneous piece. Even if they have erectile dysfunction, they still like mentally, their body, all of that still wants to, you know, do that stuff. Whereas women, you know, are when we hit menopause, it's so depressing when I learned this, that when we hit menopause, you know, our gas tank is essentially empty with that. So then we have to be a bit more mindful um, about how to do things. And I, I mean, I'm not in menopause, I'm 36, but I definitely can tell a huge difference in my sex drive and my libido based on my on my stress level. So, um, so I think that even though many times people will talk about this as it pertains to hormones, I think, you know, we live in a very connected society, like you said, that has a lot of shame built in a lot of purity culture, um, a lot of stuff like that. And so I really feel what I'm seeing clinically for women is a lot of stress and anxiety and what should I do and what should I be? And, you know, all of this stuff that, um, that I think knowing these things can, can help ease some of that. Yeah. So it's just, you know, like we were talking about the libido and, you know, being aroused and how that works, but like when you're having sex, you know, there's obviously there's, there's two myths that I've been really researching or just two ideas that I've been really researching. And that's the idea that women have this magical G spot. And then the idea that, you know, women, when they squirt, it's not urine. So like, I want to break these things down. Tell me about all these things. Let's start with the G spot. Um, I am, you know, based on what I'm reading, and I've, I've tried to read a, a bunch of different things. Um, digging into the vagina Bible this morning. And so what it sounds like is that there's not really a G spot. Like there's not a magical spot that every woman has, or like maybe some women have if they're special and then other women don't have. It's really sort of how you explained it earlier that some women can, you know, based on, you know, their body and their partner, they can have orgasms with penetration and some women just don't. Yes. So, so the G spot actually is just the, um, deeper nerve bundles of the clitoris. So okay. even though the 3d model, which the clitoris was not, um, appropriately mapped until the nineties. So I think I love the, um, the book you suggested. I also like Pussypedia is another book I really yeah. like. Um, and it, it's so amazing, but honestly, I wonder as our ability to do imaging of the body and as more grant money is awarded to things to research projects that specifically look at women's health, I feel like in the next five to 10 years, we're going to find out a lot more information about um, our bodies that, uh, you know, are, is going to blow our minds. But basically, um, the G spot is just the deeper nerve aspects of that clitoris. And so again, like anything, your nerves could be those deeper um, fibers could be kind of closer to the vaginal canal, mm -hmm. or they could be a little bit deeper. And so it can be more challenging to kind of stimulate them. Um, so the, so the G spot, like 
in all actuality is is the clitoris. <laughs> it's just the clitoris. And you're just kind of hitting that more sensitive spot. Does, yes. does that have to be triggered through penetration or can you, can you, can I do that just through self-pleasure, you know? You can do it through, you can do it through self-pleasure, but that's where I, um, you oftentimes for people when they're getting that kind of deeper orgasm or that G-spot orgasm, usually they're doing something internal to kind of just stimulate those nerves, or they at least have something in there that their muscles can kind of grasp around. Because as your muscles grasp around something, um, they're essentially pumping the nerves and pushing them into that thing. Um, the other thing I'll say that I'm kind of curious on myself, which there, there's not a evidence out there on it necessarily, but in the medical world, many women have cervical orgasms. So, and when I say many, I actually mean it's about like, I want to say like around 20%. Um, and they, many people did not realize that they had cervical orgasms until they had a full hysterectomy and their cervix was removed and then they have no more orgasm. Yeah. So sometimes people who really um, have that deeper orgasm, I'm thinking that we think it's a G spot orgasm, but really it's the cervix kind of contracting mm. and getting agitated and having that that pleasure response. Wow. Okay. I never I never even thought about that. Yeah. So, so that would be something really interesting for you to add to like your own personal research and yeah. reading. It's yeah. just like Googling cervical orgasm. I just think that's so fascinating and something that's just not being talked about. Uh, and when I worked at Mayo Clinic, um, many women would go into the doctors who were going to do their hysterectomy and the doctors would be like, oh, let's just take your cervix. And like us on the other side, we we're like, no, 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 no. If your cervix doesn't need to be taken, don't, don't just do it. take it. It's not just like, you know, just like, oh, I'm going to just, you know, just like, we're, we're going to remove this one little mole, but while we're at it, why don't we just take a huge chunk? Like, no, no surgeon would do that. Yet when it comes to women and their vaginas, it's like, oh, let's just get rid of it. Yeah. You know? So, um, so just again, something that's so interesting that I think as women, if we focus on that contracting, that relaxing, that motion, um, and what we really are feeling, um, I think we would discover a lot more and it really, that's where we unlock that pleasure. Mm. That's really good stuff. Okay. So then let's get to the squirting. Yes. Squirting. So here, so I actually did a ton of research on squirting. Um, again, when I was at, um, Mayo, uh, clinic in Minnesota, um, many of the doctors were like, squirting's ridiculous, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay, Laura, let's go ahead and research this. So a yeah. lot of the squirting that we see in porn is actually, they will put a catheter into the lady's urethra. Yep. And they will fill it with saline solution. And so as she's orgasming or doing this sort of squirting video, that's where we'll see these huge big gushes um because they have you know it's trickery it's just like cgi essentially um so that was like mind-blowing to me um and then um so true squirting what's happening is if you separate your labia minora okay so you separate your labia minora on either side of your vaginal opening, there are these things called skeins glands. It's S-K-E-N-E-S -E -E glands. And um, they actually have like little fluid filled pouches. And so when someone's squirting, that's what is, that's where the squirting's coming from. So everyone, again, because we all vary, some people have like larger glands, larger kind of pouches. And so they kind of more naturally squirt. Other people don't have as much. I think age, hormone, hormones, how hydrated you are in the day can affect all of that. So truly when we're thinking about squirting, 
it's coming from those skeins glands. Um, however, a lot of my research and a lot of my um, and a lot of the stuff I've read is people are thinking they're squirting, but they're actually having urinary incontinence. So that's really common. People will have urinary incontinence with orgasm. Yeah. And so again, it's deter it, there should not be urine fluid that's happening. So I had one um, patient who um, was came in and was explaining that they were squirting. And the longer we worked together, the more they were like, Laura, I don't think this is squirting. I think I'm having urinary incontinence. And in my head, I was thinking, yes, from what you described to me, I think that as well. So what we had this person do is you can take that over-the-counter like bladder spasm, overactive bladder medicine, and it changes your urine um, orange. And so she went home and she took that and then she uh, masturbated and had sex and the liquid that came out was orange. So we knew what she thought she was doing when was she actually actually it was actually urine um and then i've had other people where we've done that same thing and when they were squirting they were truly squirting because it wasn't yeah. orange you know so um it's just again with all medical things or sexual health things i always say like let's get curious okay so this goal of squirting is also kind of like the same goal of trying to chase an orgasm and we really forget the beautiful um, ups and downs, you know, of the experience and the exploring and all of that that happens. And so uh, sometimes when we sort of have this pinnacle goal, we lose sight of being able to stay in contact with our body and it makes it harder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so cleared up some things for me because yes. I, I, you know, so when we're talking about urinary incontinence, that just means like your, is your bladder weak or is it just filling up quickly because of the pressure? So yeah. So urinary incontinence, just the blanket definition is basically unwanted leakage of urine. There are two types uh, there is urge incontinence where you have an urge to go to the bathroom or you see a toilet and you start leaking or you like have to tighten and race there because you're like, if I don't race there, I'm going to leak. So that's urge incontinence. Stress incontinence happens when we cough, sneeze, laugh, running, jumping, orgasm. And what's happening is basically the pressure within our abdomen is more than the strength of our pelvic floor muscles to keep that urethra closed and so we leak mm. so with um when we leak during orgasm or during sexual activity it's uh because we're having more pressure in there or our muscles can't coordinate to keep that urethra closed as we're doing the activity so what hole is the, the, you know, the wood from the glands coming out of? So it's coming out. There's two very small holes. Sometimes you can see them and it's, um, I don't know actually the name of it. I just, I don't know. We just always call it Skeen's glands. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes, um, doctors, like when I would read their, uh, exam notes, they would just say like, uh, minor inflammation at the skeins gland or able to identify skeins glands. And so it's just there on either side of the vaginal opening, whereas the urethra is up above the vaginal opening. Right. So, so then when the squirt comes out, is it coming out of the same hole the penis is going in or? Nope. Coming right next door. Ah, okay. Right next door. They're okay. just like little, little little like small holes. So like if I'm just like looking at a vagina doing it, it looks like it's coming from that, but it's not. Correct. Ah, okay. That makes sense. But like I said, it's so hard because when you look at porn, a lot of times it's this huge, big thing. And that's because they've prepped the bladder for that. Yeah. I feel like porn, like I enjoy porn. I yeah. don't watch it to get turned on, yeah. but I do watch it. Cause I'm like, this is so interesting. I love, you know, seeing all the different positions. Like I'm, I'm yeah. here for that. But like when it comes to 
using porn as a basis for what sex should be like. Yeah, it's just, no, it's just not realistic for me and my sexual needs and desires, I guess. Um, so but I think that's where it's like, I would love to see, you know, and I haven't dived in enough, but I am loving, you know, I heard things about like ethical porn and I've heard things like um, hmm. phrases where they're saying in some of these porn sites, they're starting to do... Um, after show aftercare so say you know you watch porn and it's really like intense or whatever they're starting to add in as a part of the porn kind of experience of like hey this is how to take care of the person after you do something like this and i love that because again it's showing the wide range of human experience as opposed to just this one act you know like you were saying you love watching porn to see all the different positions and all the different stuff like for me i'm like god i wish you know you have this sexual menu of things that you might like to do or whatever and it's like sometimes it's like like I need more suggestions you know like I just need to see I need that buffet so I can yes. see what to choose from but a lot of times I just feel like they want to get to the goods of like okay let's do this and it's like wait there's so much other stuff you can do you know so yeah. that's what I think is is again going to be interesting and I see the culture kind of at least some of it starting to shift. Yeah. What's tell me about like some of the aftercare that you find yourself like enjoying the most. Yeah. So I like um, when they show like um, they'll take they'll have like um, like warm compresses or mm. like that. So it's like not like okay someone just jizzed and then you're like walking off somewhere and like cleaning up. It's like hey let's get a warm towel. Let's like clean everything up in a nice gentle way instead of like waddle walking to the toilet or whatever or just like scene cut you know it's yeah. like hey let's get this um um again like I'm big on like positioning yourself for comfort so um like maybe it's like getting uh, like a blanket and like lots of pillows. So you're not like laying flat, but you can kind of just sort of be cradled, you know, things like that, I think are so awesome and good. And like continuing that experience of not like, oh, it's done. And it suddenly lights on. Like, it might be like, let's cuddle for a second. Let's continue this connection instead of like exiting it once everything seems to be completed. Yeah. So yeah. I love that cleanup, um, warmth, cuddling, continuing that, you know, I think that's so important to show. Yeah. I'm really into the conversation on aftercare now. And I think I seen something on your page or maybe I seen something somewhere else, but I shared it in my stories because I'm like, we don't talk about this. No. But it's so important. Like it's all and it's usually, you know, like it it used to be made fun of like, oh, like yes. cuddle with her after, you know what I mean? Yes. But like aftercare is for both or all parties, you know, however you do what you do, but yeah. like it is important. And it's like, now that more people are having this conversation, I'm like, you guys are so right. Like, yes. Yeah, I love exactly. That. It's always like, I always say like, my mind is just blown and I love that it's more and more of the conversations. It's more of the things that are getting out there. So again, people can see like, try it on for size, you know, yeah. what works for you. Um, and if it is for you, you're like, Hey, okay, we've done our thing. And maybe they leave and you just want to be able to like cuddle in your blanket or have some tea or that's when you light the candle, you know, it's like, like you do your own aftercare. Yeah, exactly. Like, and just being able to have that permission um, to explore it and think about it and be curious, you know, that's, that's the part, be curious and have fun. Yeah. I love that. So, okay. So before I let you go, we only have a little bit left, but there's a couple things that I'm like, I just want to, I just need to talk to you about this. Okay. Firstly, the idea that like, and, and in comparison to like from the vagina in comparison to the anal, like when you're doing anal play, there's definitely this idea that, you know, if a woman has too much sex, 
then her vagina gets loose and it's not enjoyable. And, you know, kind of the same idea with, you know, with the anus. And so how, like, is that true for either one? Mm -hmm. And if it's not, where the fuck did we get that from? (laughs) Well, I think so for sure, speaking to the vagina component of it, I think that's just the long history of women being shamed. You know, it's like, how do we shut them up? How do we keep them in line? Like, let's shame them, you know, because, and then as far as the anus, you know, I think, um, I really, I go back and forth on this one. If the muscles do get stretched out or they don't get stretched out. And this is my thought process. So I always tie it to other muscles in our body. So like our hamstrings, right? If you ask me to touch my toes, I am so inflexible And I remember one time I was able to do yoga every single day for two months. And I remember one time I walked in, I got on that yoga mat and I touched my toes without even warming up. And I was like, oh my God, Laura, you achieved it. Way to go. (laughs) And then I stopped doing yoga every single day and I got back to the yoga mat and I was like, why am I only able to get to like my knees again? And so our muscles are constantly basically responding to the stress placed upon them. Mm. And so if so because the anus does have your external and internal anal sphincters, so a sphincter just means a circular muscle, and because they are tighter, I do encourage people who engage in anal penetration to make sure that they're taking time to work on tightening and relaxing those muscles. Because if you stretch something and then you kind of don't check in with it again to say, hey, let's go ahead and work on making sure you're just engaging and working properly, sometimes you can have a little bit less elasticity and a little bit like more flexibility. And because like no one wants to like have incontinence of gas or stool, I just say, hey, just add that this in as again, kind of part of your aftercare, or like later that day or night or the next day and just check like, can I contract? Can I relax? Can I contract and hold? Am I actually contracting my anal sphincters? Or do I feel like it's more my butt cheeks? And it's really easy. You can just put your fingers like next to your rectum or um kind of on top of it to just feel that lift and squeeze in um so that's kind of what i've gotten to now i would never tell people like don't have anal sex maybe if you already had incontinence of stool at baseline that i might say "Mm, we need to be careful on the size of things that we're putting in there but otherwise no i i think that it's something great and fun and you know it's there's so many amazing nerve endings there. And um, I think it just, again, it's, I, I really think it's been, shame has been used to tell people to stop doing it, you know, and it's, that's just unfortunate. And that's why podcasts like yours are so important. Yeah. Yeah. So like, in terms of like cleaning, right? Because usually like after you have sex, like vaginal sex, yeah. um, you know, you use the bathroom and it kind of does what it, it does its thing. And then, you know, you clean on the surface. What's yeah. the best way, like after anal play, what's the best way to clean that space? So I, so first I always kind of uh, ask people like, is there any discomfort or pain? So um, the post you reshared of mine is like how to actually engage in um, anal sex. Yeah. And um, if you, so as I said in that, you need to make sure you're using a lot of lube. Um, that skin is really sensitive. And so depending on if maybe you were doing something that was a bit larger Maybe you didn't use like a silicone lube or um, something like that, and you didn't get as much slide and glide. Sometimes it can be nice to do like a sits bath. So just filling up the bathtub um, with some kind of lukewarm, warm water and just kind of soaking to make sure that the tissue is um, 
adequately cleaned off so we don't have any um uh, like infection, but also doing a sitz bath is really nice because toilet paper can really, that wiping can kind of encourage if there was any tearing or aggravation. So just that mm -hmm. is nice. Okay. And, and then taking a towel and just really patting that area dry. So that would be like kind of my gold standard kind of thing. The other thing I would say is just, even if you have a really soft, um, like washcloth or some type of cloth and then again kind of warm water to just gently wipe off the area is going to be really important and then some people choose before anal sex to um, douche so that it's just not as much mess and not as much so wait you can douche your anus yes yeah I know that yeah that was so just for the vagina Yes. So I don't actually recommend doing it for the vagina because the vagina is a self-cleaning oven. Um, and so um, she's good. Okay. Okay. She's good. But for the anus, it can be nice. Um, basically, you're doing like an enema. And so, um, so you just, so they have like, if you look on Amazon, um, they have uh special like douchers or enemas that can go into the rectum that have like a slightly different curve. Um, and that's something that you can do. So you can basically do that and then you can kind of hold it in and then you can go to the bathroom. So you clean everything out if that's something that you're concerned about. Okay. So then how, how soon after sex should someone do that? Do the cleanup and everything. Yeah. So the cleanup and everything, I mean, as soon as possible, you know, I mean, within that day, sort of like anything, it's like, you know, um, within like, you don't want to wait like two days or even 24 hours, but within that time frame, because again, we just, our tissues are so, especially with the anus are really, really, um, fragile almost. And so say you used a bunch of lube and that wetness is just sitting there that can cause kind of tissue breakdown. Mm, so it's because okay. if you sit in a bathtub forever, your skin gets wrinkly. It's like, well, pruny, the same thing can happen with your anus and even with your vagina. So that's why we just kind of want to clean things off and then just let that area, um, be able to be dry. So if anything did tear happen, it's nice and healed. Yeah. And so I have a daughter, she's 13. Yes. And I remember like first teaching her how to wipe, you know, front to back and that sort of thing. But is there a way that we should be cleaning our, our vulva? Yeah. That like maybe like the majority of us aren't doing. Yeah. So I um actually don't recommend like any soaps or anything like that. If okay. you want to use a soap, you, you want to find like the scent free, super clean soap. And what you would do is, um, you know, our vulva has those skin folds. So you would just take some soap and just kind of wash sort of moving the skin folds around so that you can kind of like get amongst them, but you never want to go into the vaginal canal. Uh, because that, like I said, is a self-cleaning oven and then just water on the outside. But most of the time, what I recommend for people is instead of using soap and going over, and this is the vulva, you can take soap and you can wipe your asshole. You yeah. know, that's fine. Like lather it up, <laughs> scrub it up. Get in there. <laughs> Actually, even though it doesn't seem like a very big uh, distance, it's actually a pretty big distance between your butthole and then where your vaginal canal is, and then the labia kind of cover. So what I recommend people do is just take water. And as if, if you have a removable shower head, you can go ahead and like wash your vulva. Or if you leave it in place, just like take the water and just so you are moving those tissues and agitating them. Yeah. The thing yeah. is, is a lot of people don't touch themselves even in a non-sexual, let's just clean the area away. Yeah. They just sort of get in the shower, wash everything else, and they don't move the skin folds and things can get trapped mm -hmm. in those skin folds. So that's why, and we know things can get trapped. If you've ever had a kid or had to change a diaper, 
yeah. you know, and they had like a poop explosion, you know, it's like you had to really move stuff around to clean out. We yes. don't do that same thing with our vagina. Yeah, and I feel like especially with with, you know, women or, you know, people who have vulvas that if there's hair growing down there, like I think that's a just you know, there's going to be a smell if you're not, if you're not doing some type of care down there. Yes. And so it's really about, again, um, I, I feel like people, when it comes to pelvic health, vaginal health, sex, all this stuff, we have these like extremes. And like, when we're thinking about cleaning our vulva, it's like people either don't touch anything and are just like, I don't know what to do. Or they're like, Let's buy all of the over all of the over the counter cleaning stuff and everything and do this. And it's like really simply, you need water, your hand, and you need to just just like you were saying when you wash your hair, we don't just like put the soap on or just run it through. We got to scrub, and so scrub in there and first just do it with water, see how that goes, and then second, if you want, you can add a very like super clean. Um, no sense kind of soap. Okay. Nice. Now we have gotten all the information. Yeah. You really did give us all the information. Yes. Lady bits. And then some. Yeah. And so usually at this point in the podcast, I like to do I like to ask my guests, is there an an affirmation or like a really important piece of advice that you want to share with us and just leave with us before you go. Yeah. So, um, this has been really coming in for me lately, which is the affirmation. I am a sexual being. Um, I think, and we'll just blank in statement, say women are constantly wearing 10,000 million hats. Yeah their mom, their employee, their um, boss, babe, their wife, their girlfriend, their, um, you know, they're a child that's maybe caring for aging parents, you know, and I think we forget that we were put on this earth to not only experience, but no pleasure. Yeah. And pleasure can come in a lot of different ways. For me, it might be eating the most beautiful um, thing of ice cream, or it might be masturbating. But I think it's important to know that you are a sexual being and to say that to yourself, because when life gets rough, like it has been, and like it is going right now, sometimes that's the last thing on our mind. But I want people to gently encourage it to come to the forefront because they deserve pleasure. And I think that when we give ourselves pleasure, we can go out and we can, it makes our bowl larger to continue to help people um, and, and step up to continue to wear all those hats. I love that. I am a sexual being. I like mm-hmm. that. That that's powerful for me. That resonates. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are going to want to follow Laura on social media. I started this podcast off with this because this is how I found her and you guys want to follow. So Laura, can you tell them where they can find you? Yes. So um, I am at Laura Myhoffer, which I know that is a challenging one, but we'll have it in the show notes for you. Mm-hmm. That's on Instagram. I actually have a funny Instagram account too um, called at Clitoris collective and in the coming 2022 that's going to be shifting into something very neat but it's a lot it will be something with sexual health info very neat um i also have a website uh lauramyhoffer.com um and we'll get that pleasure quiz to you and your crew and so they can um get that. Uh, and through my website, you can see I'm on YouTube um, as well. But my main locations are my email list, my website, and then Instagram is where I live 99% of the time. <laughs> Do you have a TikTok at all right now? 
I do not. That is something we have to do. I tried posting TikToks sometime last year and I was mad because I got the community guidelines thing. Oh, and I, did I didn't. And I was fully clothed and I was showing how to use this wedge cushion to explore different sexual positions. And like they blocked my video and like literally the next 50 videos I saw were people scantily clad, which is like totally cool and good on them. But I'm like, fuck you, TikTok. Yeah. My yoga clothes can't talk about how to have sexy positions that don't cause hip pain. Like you yeah, suck. No, fucking ridiculous because I see like the craziest shit on TikTok. Yes. Yes. So we just, so the team that I work with, we, it is definitely one of our goals, but basically we know the Instagram algorithm Mm -hmm. to not get blocked. So we're putting all of the funny content and reels where I dress in a penis costume or a vulva costume. We're putting all of that on Instagram and then we have the time and space. We will definitely be on TikTok with more information, but I was just mad. Yeah, no, that would piss me off too. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, and we all see the shit that's on TikTok. That's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's exciting. And you guys know where to find us on social media. We're at daily.slop across all platforms. And after you listen to this, be sure to leave a review. We want all the five stars. Let us know what you're thinking. And if you have questions for Laura, if you have questions for me, if you just want to chat with us in general, about lady parts and anuses and just all those things. You know, I like to have those conversations. And now you know, Laura loves to have those conversations too. So hit us up. We'd love to chat. And you know what? Until next time, you guys just have a beautiful fucking week.